right, the young people, our kids, are dismissed to go downstairs. You can find Dr. Molecule up front. <sighs> hmm. I told the uh, praise band they should just sing that last song for 10 minutes, and that would be, man, I, I don't know about you. I know that's a new song, so maybe it was hard to like sing along when it was brand new to you, but uh, the Lord was moving in that song, I believe. Last week, um, God was uh, doing some wonderful work in some people's lives, and uh, we gave an invitation uh, to raise your hand if you wanted to receive Jesus Christ, and we prayed with you all, and um, we had six, I know for sure, and, and possibly more hands that went up that I didn't catch. Um, and something happens, you know, in those moments when uh, a person humbles himself before the Lord and they say, you know, I'm, I'm ready and I'm willing to accept the gift that uh, Jesus paid such a dear price uh, for me. Um, sometimes we don't always understand exactly what's going on here. Uh, the first part of it is uh, a truth, okay? It, it's a, a revealing of uh, the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that he was enough to pay for sin once and for all. Um, and a realization that, you know, I... Am a sinner who needs that. I need that uh, payment for me. Um, but something else is also happening in that moment uh, when you come to that realization because every week practically we will tell you um, of the gospel, you know, that Jesus uh, lived a perfect life and he died a sacrificial death and uh, he did what, what we could not do. Um, but that doesn't mean that that will inevitably change a person's heart. Uh, there's another thing going on when a person comes to that place of, of reception and, and acceptance and belief and salvation, which is that there's an encounter in that moment with the risen Jesus. Okay? A truth understood and then a a reality experienced and those two things come together in a person's life in, a, in that moment and then uh, there is a forever change you are now a, a different person than when you walked into the room you leave a new creation in Christ and no one can do that for you no one can convince you that you have to or should um, it's, it's a mysterious, powerful event of knowledge and truth coming together in, in a person's life. Romans talks about it like this. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's the gospel, right? I, I confess that I believe that what the Bible says is true. What Jesus did was enough. And how many of you know the second part? We see, we always harp on the first part. Believe the gospel, believe in Jesus, put your trust in him, accept him, receive him. Okay, but the second part, I think a lot of people pass over like, I don't quite understand why that's a big deal. How many of you know it? 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If all you have is an intellectual interest in the historical Jesus, um, you will not be saved. The resurrection of Jesus means that he is alive. He's in this place. He is among us. You can know him. You can experience him. And you must. And it's not, it's not a lottery. Okay? It's not the lucky winner here and there. Every single human being is invited to believe and experience the glorified, risen Christ. And if you are a changed human being, it is because you have both understood the gospel and experienced the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we're going to spend the next three weeks um, exploring really seeking to, ex to experience uh, the glorified Jesus. We spend a lot of time talking about the historical Jesus. And, and when I say that, I mean uh, the Jesus that uh, we need to understand. He lived uh, and taught and, and did miracles and had a, an earthly life. He was the son of God um, in a specific time, in a specific place, and, and raised up disciples, and he he did wonderful things, and, and we need to know those things and apply those things. But those, those teachings uh, uh, by themselves will not save you, okay? They're great teachings, and they're important. Uh, you know, forgive as you've been forgiven. That's a, that's a great teaching. But if you don't experience the person of Jesus Christ in your life, it's not going to save you. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a great teaching. But if you don't have Jesus in your heart, it's not going to save you. He rose. He's alive. He is our personal Savior. Amen? That's what we need to, to experience uh, on a daily basis. We're going to spend some time exploring that together as a church. Uh, so let's uh, stand as we read God's Word this morning. We are in the book of Revelation. We'll be in the book of Revelation for the next three weeks. Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to begin and starting in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, he was going through personal um, persecution, which is to be expected for God's people. I was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. What's the Lord's day? Sunday. Why? He rose on Sunday. He claimed that day for his own. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Theatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. 
And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died. Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. And Father, we thank you that you are so gracious, Lord, <laughs> that you loved this fallen world so much. While we were yet sinners, Lord, even more than that, while we were your, we were your enemies, that you would die for us, rescuing us from certain destruction and eternal separation to provide a way, a great way, to know you not only forever, which, wow, but every day, every moment, we can be strengthened by your presence, Lord. And oh, how we need it today. These days are dark and seem to be getting darker, but uh, the light bright, <laughs> shines brighter in that darkness. And God, you are raising up your church, your people in this moment, Lord, to shine like stars. And God, we thank you that it is your light that shines. But Lord, help us to be courageous and strong in, in you, in our walk with you, in our trust in you, Lord, that we might help rescue another. For your glory, God, we pray, and for the sake of this world, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, we need to understand a little bit about Revelation um, as we get into our understanding of who Jesus is as he's revealed as the glorified Christ. And so uh, the first thing that we see here in verse 1, chapter 1, about Revelation, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. So let's just deal with that for just a moment. Revelation is one of those books that probably you either love and you're fascinated by and maybe even fanatical about, or um, you're terrified by it and you prefer to just not even deal with it. Um, 
Hopefully we have a lot of people in the middle that know that this is God's word and it is important and we need to understand it. Um, but uh, this is the revelation. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ. Okay, now that means two things. First of all, it says, which God gave him to show to his servants. So he's revealing the what? Future. Um, ten times in the book of Revelation, it says, uh, this is a prophecy. This is about things soon to happen. These are things that are coming. And so ten times John is, is recording as he's seeing it, as God is revealing it to him. Okay, it's coming down the road. It's going to happen. It may happen in our lifetime. It may not. It may... The Bible is full of future prophecy. Okay, things that didn't happen in the prophet's lifetime. Things that were, were distant future, that were hundreds of years or even thousands of years to come. And accurately um, being uh, written and portrayed and understood and for the what? For the servants of God to find encouragement and for them to have as a voice of warning to the, to the world. This world is going to be judged. And God is making it absolutely clear that you have an opportunity to be rescued from that judgment. And if you ignore the warnings, there's no other option than judgment. And it, we're like mind-boggled to think that people would just discount this. It, okay. There are a lot of people who take the book of Revelation and make it meaningless because they, they don't probably want to deal with the reality that the world will be judged in the way that God reveals it. So they... Shuffle it aside into meaningless symbolism and say, well, it doesn't mean anything to us now. And uh, we, we forsake the, the God-given uh, requirement of God's people to warn the world that their judgment is coming. So that's one thing that it means, but it also is a revelation of Jesus Christ himself, okay? It's a revelation of who he is. And, and I can say that with absolute clarity and, and confidence because every, every page of the Bible reveals who Jesus is, okay? He is, remember from John chapter 1, the Word, what? Made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so every page of the Bible is the revelation of who he is. So uh, this is about Jesus, who he is. It's about what's going to happen. And it's given to the church. It says uh, the things that soon must take were given to his servants. And all through the first chapter, you see that it's, it's directed to the church. It's about the church. It's for the church to, to use, to understand he says in verse 11, he says, write down what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And the seven churches were actual physical you know, churches that existed in that day. But it's also when you understand John's writings, everything has a, a more meaning than simply you know, the, what's obvious, which means seven is perfection or completeness or absolute. So it's like the church as a whole 
Okay, where are these seven churches now? They're gone, but where's the church now? Here, here, there, and everywhere. It's for the church. And then he says, I saw seven golden lampstands. Later on, he explains the seven lampstands. Jesus um, clarifies this to John. He says, that's churches. It's the church. Um, so he's walking among in the midst of the lampstands like a son of man. Um, and he goes on in chapter 2 and chapter 3, directly referencing these specific churches and the warnings to the churches and, and the blessings to the churches and all the things that he has to say. And so the, the individual churches in that day, they understood that the whole message was the, the entire book of Revelation, not just chapters 2 and 3. Um, that, that was a message to those specific churches. It was a message to the individual. It was a message to the church forever, okay, as, as there would ever be a church anywhere, uh, the church needs to understand what, what God is saying to us through revelation about Jesus. And uh, we need to experience the risen Christ, and that's what we want to do this morning. But before we go into that, let me give you a, a spoiler, what this is really all about. Last week I mentioned... Um, Revelation 3.20. It's the conclusion of uh, his specific message to those seven churches. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So what happens is that there's an invitation given to everyone that knock, knock, knock. <laughs> now it's up to you. Yes, Jesus, no. I want more, I, I don't. I want to stay in my pride, my sin, my, my ignorance, my understanding, my, what, justification of myself, my rationale for why I exist, my, my view of the world and how it should be versus yours, or... Lord, I'm going to let you in. And so he's knocking, and it's up to you to let him in or not. But here's what he's saying is that I desire to come in and have a personal relationship with you. I don't just want to give you truth, which is an absolutely necessary thing that we need and desire. I want a relationship. And I don't want to give you rules because um, rules won't save you. Um, <laughs> I'm not much of a rule follower. I, uh, it's, it's a problem in some ways. But there's a reason. I'll give you my philosophy, okay? So some people who can't wrap their minds around me, my personality, why I am the way that I am, here's the, here's the philosophy. Relationship trumps rules always. And what that means is, if you need rules, then your relationship is broken somewhere. You got a list of rules hanging in your house about how your kids ought to be and what they need to do, then there's something broken in the relationship. They, your children, okay, need to respect the authority of their parents and love them enough to do what they say because that you are their parents. And 
Man, I'm going to get into some parenting for a second, okay? I'm sorry, this wasn't planned, but some people need to hear this. There is a problem with some of the permissive parenting that's happening in our homes where we let the kids decide what they're going to do and how they're going to do it and whether or not they're going to do it and when they're going to do it instead of the authority of a parent to say, uh, I'm not going to ask you two or three or four or five times. I'm going to tell you one time. It's disobedience after one time of not doing what I've said. But we don't do that. We just let them go, let them go. We, we, we think that we're offering grace, but we are training them to be disobedient. Okay, but the relationship is this, that when I've established in my relationship with my children um, my love and my authority, we don't have a list of rules in our home. We have a relationship. We function on the basis of the relationship. It's the same thing in your marriage. You have a list of rules about what you can and cannot and should and should not do in your marriage. Or is it based on the love and the respect and the honor that you show each other? If I need rules and I'm missing something about how I'm supposed to relate to my wife, okay, this should be obvious. You take that into your relationship with the Lord, which is really where it all starts. God is not interested in giving you a list of rules. You know that? He has, obviously, a whole book full of his character and his standards. But you're not saved by following rules. You're saved by knowing him. And then you walk in that relationship on a regular basis, a daily basis. And what happens is, out of honor and love and respect for him, you do automatically what he wants. If you get that backwards, you'll never catch up. You cannot catch up to the relationship by following the rules. It will always trip you up. It's legalism. It's religion. It's the worst version of church. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we, we, we get so caught up in what we ought to do. We'll get into his standard here in a second. He wants a relationship. And what happens when you come to know him, then verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Does that sound like a good deal? He wants you to be seated on his throne with him. To rule with him for all eternity. To inherit the kingdom, which is what he called us to. He said that you are children of God. You are heirs with Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. Christ is in you and you are in him. And that therefore makes you a son or daughter of the king, which makes you a, a, an absolute owner with him. You say, is this a new teaching? Is that just like, I've never heard this before? Is that something only in Revelation? Revelation is simply a repeat of what Daniel was told back in Daniel chapter 7. And so 
Chapter 7, verse 27 says, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to who? The people of the saints of the Most High. Wow. 600 years um, before Christ, even, we're seeing this. But even before that, he uh, talks about Jesus in Daniel seven thirteen. This is what Je- this is what got, in some sense, Jesus killed. Okay, and he just quoted this scripture. He said, "I saw in the night visions. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came like one one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him." Jesus basically just quoted that passage to the leaders of uh, the, the Jewish religion in his day, and they said he was speaking blasphemy. He was speaking scripture. They, they were so unaware of who the Messiah would be that they killed him for it. He laid his life down. Said, to, me, to him was the dominion uh, given, the glory, the kingdom, and all the people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion's everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. That's the, the kingdom that you and I inherit as people who have encountered Jesus, who have received the gospel, have been transformed by the inside out. The Holy Spirit lives with us. He says, I desire my church to be a strong Courageous, conquering church. Okay? Believers, we're not hoping to get in by the skin of our teeth. I don't know if, are you with me yet or? Say, keep going. Okay. This is the whole thing about knowing Jesus Christ is that when you have a personal daily relationship with the risen Lord, then every day you step out of that prayer closet, you step confidently into the world with the hand of Christ firmly grasping your shoulder, guiding you through whatever situation you're going to come into contact with. We're not fearful. If you fear God, you don't need to fear anything else. We're not timid, we're not weak, we're not ignorant, not, we're not unaware. We are fully established in Christ because he will be with us. We serve a risen Lord who promises to never leave or forsake us. And too often we're starting our day without him, walking through our day without him, going to bed without him, and waking up the next day again over and over and over and over. And we walk into our churches and we never experience him. And this whole thing seems like a religion instead of a personal relationship. And this is why churches die. That's why Christians um, are isolated and they diminish their impact in this world. It's because we're too often not spending time with the one who can give us the power 
to overcome. He says, I want you to overcome. I want you to conquer. <laughs> okay. So um, he reveals who he is, and let's just walk through what does a relationship with the risen Lord look like? He's, he tells us who he is. He says, I, I heard this voice and this, this loud like trumpet, and a trumpet is, is uh, in the Old Testament, it's always uh, a signal, okay? It's, it's, I need to be uh, alert to a, uh, a fact. Something's going on. Either I need to be prepared for battle, or it's a warning, or it's a let's gather, or it's flee, or there's something about a trumpet that gives me a signal. And so he's signaling the church, and he says, I turned to the voice that was speaking to me, and I saw the seven golden lampstands, Jesus among the churches, and in the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe with a gold sash. What does that mean? Okay, who is Jesus revealing himself as at this point? Um, he's the priest, the high priest. This is priestly garments that we're talking about. Uh, you have to, not my rules, okay, not my opinion. You have to allow Jesus to remove your sin before you can have a relationship with God. He's got to cleanse you. He's got to purify you. He's got to take away your sin. We use the word cover your sin. He doesn't cover your sin. He removes it. Okay, the Old Testament blood covered sin. It was kind of a whitewash for until until the time Jesus would pay the price that would remove that sin from you. As far as the east is from the west, you are a new creation in Christ, okay? When you go to the Lord, you ask, Lord, would you forgive me? And he takes that sin and he removes it from you. You're pure. He's got to do that. Go back and read the book of uh, Hebrews. You'll see all, you know, the greatest argument in Scripture about Jesus being the high priest, what he does, who he is. He's the priest, and we need that. It says, uh, the hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. Um, these days, <laughs> you can dye your hair that color. It's, that was popular for a little while. I don't know, is that very popular anymore to do that? No? And then, you know, they were for the longest time. My grandma was this way. Dye your Beautiful gray hair or white hair, you know, brown or blonde or whatever. It was always a sign of what? In the Bible, wisdom. It was, your, it was a crown of glory. Okay? It, you made it that far. <laughs> uh, some of us will never get to have gray hair. But <laughs> the... Uh, the issue here, okay, with Jesus, eternality, wisdom, knowledge. We go to God and we present our list of requests. God, would you do this? God, you need to know about this. God, I need, I need to petition God's throne about these things. And that's fine. We, we are given a clear you know, instructions in Scripture to present your requests to the Lord. That, there's nothing wrong with that. But... Who needs more guidance? Does God need your guidance? Or you need his. 
how often are we going to prayer and we're telling God all about what we want him to do, what we think he should do and how he should fix things. And we're spending so little time saying, God, what, what do you want? How, how do you want me to live? What, what's your will here? How, guide me. Show me. Okay, that, that's the issue of the white hair. It's eternal wisdom and guidance. And so in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we come to him and we ask for forgiveness and we ask for guidance. Number three, the eyes are penetrating. Okay, they're like blazing fire. Okay, laser beams. They, nothing is hidden. You can hide things from other people. You cannot hide anything from God. You can't hide anything from your relationship with Jesus. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart, what you're doing, why you're doing it. <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't know why you're doing the stuff that you're doing. Why did I react that way? I've had that experience time and time again. Why did that bother me so much? You ever been there? Like, Walk away from a conversation feeling like I shouldn't be as upset as I am. Why? And I'll pray and pray over it. And like, okay, yeah, God, you're dealing with my pride. Okay, yeah, yeah. Why? Oh, yeah, now I remember. That thing that happened when I was eight. Just still carrying it around. And so are you. Jesus knows. And he understands. So be honest with yourself and be honest with him. You can't hide anything from him, any, from him anyway. So just be honest when you're praying. His eyes see everything and his feet are unchanging. Okay. Here's what this means. Uh, feet of burnished bronze. He's immovable. And what that means is he is uncompromising. He does not compromise with our sin. Um, you know, you can be honest with God in prayer, and we're so often uh, less than honest with people. We don't want them to know why or what was, what's going on. And so when we talk about accountability, we, we want people to have accountability and have people that they can be honest with and, and uh, share their life with, and that's great. Um, but here's the problem, okay? We are cowards. We're just absolutely cowards. Most of the time, you know, somebody will come and they have a sin problem. And, you know, what's, what's their prayer partner, accountability partner going to do? They're there. We all sin. We all mess up sometimes. Don't be too hard on yourself. And we need grace, okay. But it, I am often willing to compromise with my sin. And Jesus is not. He, he's not going to ever say it's fine. What you did was okay. That it, it's no big deal. He's going to say that it's disgusting. It breaks his heart. And it's damaging your life. And... You need to get a hold of that thing and destroy it in your life before it destroys you. He told Cain this. This is, this is before the Holy Spirit was released in the day of Pentecost. Okay? This is before the Jewish religion was ever even given. This is, this is just a, a guy who knows God, has a relationship with God, who has a daily walk with God somehow or 
God was willing to walk with him, but God told Cain, he says, get a hold of that sin. Get control of it, or it will destroy you. What does Cain do? Remember the story? He ignores that, doesn't bother with his sin. He lets it rise up in him in anger, and he kills his brother Abel. First murder in the Bible. God warned him then, and he's still warning us, get hold of that thing. Kill it before it kills you. And you say, well, man, I don't know how to do that. Anybody got the solution here? You have to let Jesus conquer that sin in your life. You're no longer a slave to it. You don't compromise with sin. You call it out as sin. This is what the church is failing to do. Across the board, we're not calling sin, sin anymore. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to offend anyone. So we're not saying that sexual immorality is sexual immorality. We don't want to say that. We don't want to call abortion murder. We don't want to say that. Some people will be offended by those terms. And so we... Well, you make your own decision. You know what we're doing? We're, we're basically saying truth is relative, and uh, you choose what you want. Choose what's right and wrong for yourself. That is cultural morality, and it is an absolute tragedy that the church would ever be involved in that. The, the truth of God's standard is revealed clearly in his words so that we can... Warn people that that sin is going to destroy you. You need to bring it to Jesus Christ to let him rule over it. And you've got to call it sin every time. As soon as you start calling it something else, trying to be politically correct with it, then you've compromised. And where's Jesus? He's got feet of bronze, people. He's not going anywhere. He's not going to agree with our culture. Doesn't matter how, many, how woke people are. Okay? I used to think that maybe that would be a good thing. I thought maybe it meant, let's wake up. <laughs> it, it doesn't mean that, apparently. It means say nothing that might possibly hurt anybody's feelings. And, uh, man, we're destroying ourselves from the inside out. So Jesus doesn't compromise with our sin. He wants to heal, forgive, and destroy that which is ugly within us. Um, his voice is like many waters. Um, we were, you know, in the uh, Iron Sharpens Iron Conference yesterday out in the lobby, and just people were just talking, and I'm trying to, you know, talk with small group, and I mean, I, I guess, I don't know if I'm old or if I just really damaged my hearing along the way, but I cannot hear in that kind of a situation. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like rushing waters and I'm yelling and they're, it's so annoying. I mean, I'm sure people are like, you know, just go away. Um, that's the voice that Jesus needs to, he needs to drown out every other voice. We need to hear from him. In your relationship with Jesus, and you go to him and you, you seek his voice to pierce through 
the culture, to pierce through your own opinions, to pierce through what you're hearing from everywhere else. You can always compare it to what he's saying, okay? But you need to hear him first and foremost. He is the authority. In his hand, he holds the stars, the seven stars, seven churches, means the rulers of the churches, the the messengers of the churches, okay? So if he holds the leaders and he holds the servants and he holds all of it, and uh, we sing the song that he holds what? The whole world in his hands. What does that mean? If you have something in hand, what does it mean? You got it under control, right? If something is, is out of my hands, it just means that it's out of my control. I can't do anything about that. And he holds it all in his hands. It means he's got it under control. And this is the scary thing, okay? The church, specifically, he says he's willing to snuff out any church that will not honor him. He'll put out a lampstand. He's not so in love with any particular church body that he will keep it going if it walks away from him. He did it to the temple twice. His temple. He said, to his own people, you walk away from me, you lose my protection and my spirit and my power. And other people came in, they conquered Israel over and over and over and over again. But the amazing thing is that uh, he's so gracious that if you'll just call out to him, he'll revive and, and return and bring that power back. Let me apply this to you personally, okay? Some people have walked away from the Lord for whatever reason, okay? Walked into a sinful situation, walked away because of disappointment, walked away because of frustration, walked away because of a lack of encouragement, whatever, okay? He's just calling. He's knocking. He's saying, I'm here. I will restore my relationship with you if you will open the door to me. Every person, every day has that opportunity. As long as you have breath in your lungs, he's knocking. Amen? Isn't that an awesome thing? He's never done with you. His mouth, uh, out of it comes the sword, double-edged sword. The sword is the word of God, and it is judgment, okay? It is the dividing line. Will we hear from him what his truth is, or will we decide my own truth? I, uh, I don't know about you. I read a lot of, you know, academic stuff, uh, theologians, etc. And I, sometimes I, I, I'm concerned that I'm, what I'm reading is people are judging the Bible. Like they're, they're deciding about what it means and how to apply it. And um, it doesn't work that way. Okay. It judges me. Every time I read it, we, we want you to read the whole Bible. We want you to read, you know, through the Bible in a year. We want you to read it in and uh, absorb it. But if you read any part of it ever, just, just make sure you do this one thing. Let it judge you. Let it reveal truth to you. Let it have its powerful work of piercing into your heart. Don't stand in judgment over the word. Come to the word respectfully and say, God, would you use this to do something in my life? And when, when you read it, 
that way, it will have a powerful effect in your life. And all of that, okay, would be terrifying if not for the last thing. It says that his face is like the sun shining in full strength. Now, that's powerful. But uh, can you imagine if Jesus had a dark countenance? You know what that means? What if his countenance, his face was dark? It would mean that he would be what? Angry. He's not. I mean, I'm amazed that he's not, but he's not. His face is shining. He, he looks at you with love. I mean, he desires a relationship with you. He wants to bring you close. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to empower you. He wants to spend time with you every single day. He wants to walk alongside you in your life. He wants to give you purpose and meaning. He wants to take away your fear. He wants to give you peace. He wants to provide for you. He wants to give you hope and confidence in your life and in your eternity. I mean, he just, he's looking at you with joy that you are one of his. And he just says, I'm, I'm ready every day. To, to be there for you. Wouldn't you love to have somebody in your life that was an absolute champion in your corner who always was willing to fight for you, would never let you down, would be faithful to you every single day and without fail. Would you love that? Now what we're looking for and, and when we get married, like we're looking for that person who is in my corner every single day. I'm, Molly tells me this, she says, I'm on Team Luke. I love to hear that. I, I need that. Jesus is saying, I'm on your team. I, I want you to conquer with me. I, I just invite you to walk with me every day. Amen? <laughs> I don't know that there's anything better than that. He wants to rule and reign. He will rule and reign. He's already conquered this earth. And he says, walk with me. And you will walk in victory every day. And Father, we thank you that you have overcome this world. Lord, you conquered. You currently rule and reign. Lord, you have... Um, Everything well in hand. Nothing is out of your control. Nothing is, is uh, confusing to you. Beyond your limits, Lord, you have no limits. All you have is invitation, grace, willingness. You just invite us to find that strength in you. Lord, I pray that today some people would find that strength right now in your presence we humbly bow before your throne Lord lift us up seat us in the heavenly places Lord like your word says that we might be conquerors more than conquerors in Christ we thank you in Jesus name Amen Amen we always invite you to make a decision um, the altar, what we call the front of our stage, the altar is a place where you can just come and kneel and humbly bow and pray. And uh, if the Lord is 
pressing on your heart this morning. Just whatever it is, just lay it down. If you've been an unwitting, um, I don't know, victim (laughs) of religion, and God's calling you into a relationship today, it's okay. Admit it. Come and say, God, I want to know you, and I want to know you every day. And I'm going to come to the altar, and I'm going to make that declaration. Amen? Let's stand and sing.